question I would ask to start is, are you a prisoner of circumstance or a prisoner of Christ? Because I think a lot of times we as, as individuals will allow the world to dictate how we live our life rather than the way we live our life to dictate how the world responds to who we are in Christ. And uh, I know personally, coming from a broken family and you know all the stories and the statistics you can hear and, and recite, um, a lot of times people get stuck there and they look at their circumstance and they're like, well, I, it's, it's, it, there's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm a, one of many people that have a broken situation <clears throat> and uh, I just can't get out of it. I can't, um, can't do anything to overcome this. And it's marked my life and I'll always be, you know, tainted by that or what somebody did to me or what uh, situation happened. And... I would just challenge you, and I'm challenged by reading it, is that if that's our attitude about the gospel, then that's not a gospel that's worth presenting to anybody, right? Because if, if it lacks power, then when we go out on the streets, it's, uh, it's nothing to offer. And Steve talked about that when he was here. He talked about how it's the power of the gospel that leads people to salvation. It's not how you say it. It's not... You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's the fact that Jesus died to pay the sin debt that we have inherited from our father, Adam. And it's the only way to get into heaven is to receive that and to understand that he raised from the dead and overcame sin and death. And we have no penalty for those actions if we put our faith in the cross and, the, and in the, the empty tomb. So, first off, I know this is elementary, but the gospel, what is the gospel? Everybody... That's the question everybody asks. What is the gospel? The good news, yep. Uh, the Greek word, I'm going to butcher this, is euangelion. Um, it basically means good message or good news or good tidings. It's the inqu- equivalent of the word evangel, which is where we get, we get the word evangel or evangelize. And in the New Testament, it denotes the good tidings of the kingdom of God and of salvation through Christ. To be received by faith on the basis of his atoning death, his burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's the good news. The fact that Jesus died for us because we had sin. He took that sin on himself. And then three days later, he defeated all of the power of sin and death by raising from the dead, having eternal life, and then ascending to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Um, So if we understand the power of that, then whatever circumstance we're in, should greatly be affected by the power of the gospel that's living out through our life. So, in, in verse 12 of Philippians 1, it says, uh, just to give you a quick background, this is, Paul is writing from jail, or uh, house arrest, I guess, in this case. So he's chained to a, a Roman guard. He's not able to go anywhere. And he's writing to the Philippian church. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If you remember what Chris went over on Sunday, he talked about how the disciples and the apostles, after they had been threatened and beaten, that they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. And everybody went, ugh. He's going to talk about suffering and persecution. Um, well, guess what? It's round two of suffering and persecution time. No, um, 
But you would think, and Chris talked about this, that you would think that once somebody got challenged or, you know, someone thwarted an attempt to share the gospel, that that would deter people from moving forward, right? That's how we act a lot of times. If somebody, if you have an idea about something and somebody shoots you down, you're a lot more timid to share at work or whatever, or propose a solution to a problem if no one's taking what you have to say or someone's threatening your life. It had the exact opposite effect when the gospel was involved. It, it drove people to have more boldness. And Paul even says here, he says, the things that happened to me, and we know, Paul goes through the list in one of the other epistles about all the things that happened to him, about being whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and all that stuff. He says, the things that happened to me have happened to me actually to further the gospel. What the enemy has intended to derail my calling or my ministry of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which God called him to do, the enemy tried to knock Paul out of the the picture at every possible turn. He gets shipwrecked, he ends up on a beach, and then a snake bites his hand. You know, it's like, come on, like, give me a break. (laughs) If I was Paul, I would be like, all right, uncle, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And he's saying, the things that have happened to me are actually furthering the gospel. And you would think, you know, if, say, you know, just to pick on Chris, but if Chris was like thrown in jail for preaching the gospel in Lansdale, would, how, much, how many of us would go, let's go preach the gospel in Lansdale for Chris? We would all freak out and probably hide somewhere um, because we wouldn't want that to happen to us. But he says that the disciples, when they saw him in chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And that's so challenging to me. I read that and I go, if someone says, hey, you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Yes, I am. Uh, Yes, I am. Okay. And then it's like, well, they're asking me, so maybe I have an open door. And then I just like cower away and say, oh, what about those eagles? Uh, What's up with Deshaun Jackson? (laughs) You know, we we quickly divert the the conversation. Uh, If we can look at the first verse, which is Isaiah 61. <clears throat> this is the, the message that Jesus spoke when he stood up in the temple and said, this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, or the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I'm sure Paul was clinging to this verse when he was sitting in prison Um, when Paul was here, it's interesting because he had a captive audience. He had a house arrest, and there was a Roman guard shackled to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Instead of Paul saying, oh man, I'm stuck here, I can't go out and preach the gospel like I want to, the soldier was like, oh man, I'm stuck here, I can't stop listening to this guy preach the gospel to me. Paul saw it as an opportunity to have the world chained to him not to have any chain keeping him from getting to the world. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, which we have that verse up there as well, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. It's important that we are living our lives in the power of the gospel so that the people that we know are watching us are seeing what is available to them. Um, do we allow our circumstances to hinder the gospel in our life or its effect in our life? I know that um, I've had several conversations with people, and 
people just say, oh, this is my lot in life, I guess. You know, this is my cross to bear. This isn't working out for me. And, oh, well, I I always dreamed I would be this. Or I I thought that my life would be a lot different by now. And I've said that. You know, I'm like, you know, I just turned the big 3-0. And uh, (laughs) and everybody's like daggers. Um, But uh, I was like, man, by 30, I thought I would have kind of known what I was supposed to be doing in life by now. And I still feel like I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be when I grow up. And I have two kids and a job and a wife and a house and all this stuff, and you're just trying to figure it out. And it's not possible for us to uh, question that without, in, in some ways, questioning what God had planned for us all along. Do we think that God lost track of where we were and we ended up in prison somewhere? And he's like, oh, Paul, sorry, I forgot about you. I didn't expect you to get thrown in jail, but okay, I'll figure it out. Let's, let's figure this out together. No, Paul understood because of the power of the gospel that God intended for him to be exactly where he was. Um, <clears throat> a quote by Charles Spurgeon says this, and I think a lot of times we get timid and we're like, well, if somebody asks me questions about the gospel and I'll have to defend myself and I don't know what to say and all this stuff. Charles Spurgeon said, the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. We don't have to walk and cower and, and be timid when we walk in the streets of Lansdale. And I'm preaching this to myself as much as to anybody else because I was like ringing that doorbell, eh, hearing dogs barking on the other side and freaking out and stuff. Uh, but I read this and I'm like, this is what I want to be. I want to do this. I want to be sitting chained to wherever if you're stuck in a dead-end job, that job is your mission field. When people come to my cubicle, they should be, I said it before, they should be coming to church. This should be their opportunity to see, to see the power of the gospel live it out in a, the life of a believer of Jesus. Um, Chris quoted the verse on Sunday, but in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not one of the promises that we put on our refrigerator or frame it on our bathroom mirror in a three-by-five card. But it's a promise in the Scriptures, and Jesus said that himself. He said, they're going to they're gonna take you in before the council. They're going to think, in Luke 16, I think it says, there's going to be a time when people kill you, and they think they're doing God a service. And I'm not trying to get all, like, people are going to get killed here. But, um, but basically, like, this is the, the real thing, that the power of the gospel is life-changing, but it's also the aroma of death to some people, and they're not, they don't want to hear it. But we can't allow the few people that we're going to encounter that are going to be the loud minority that are hostile to deter us from preaching the gospel to those that they may receive it, they may not, but the majority of people I've ever shared the gospel with have not punched me in the face. But for some reason, we have that picture in our mind that that's what we're going to encounter. Um, And I would just ask you, like, what things, and, and Steve asked this when we went over it, but... What things in your life are hindering you from spreading the gospel or hindering me from spreading the gospel? I can think of, you know, I don't want people to think I'm weird because of all the, all the extreme Christians on TV, I don't want to get lumped in with that weird sect. So I'll kind of be timid about being a Christian. Or I'll, I don't want to mess up the cool Christian vibe that I've worked up at work. You know, people come to me at work and they're like, he's a Christian, but he's cool. And I'm like, yes, I got him. And it's not really, that's not what... <laughs> That's not what we're called to do, is be cool. Make, make sure people think Jesus is cool. That's not what it says in the Gospels, I'm pretty sure. Um, if you're in a situation right now where you feel like there's no way I can shine as a light, there's no way I can share the Gospel in this situation, I think we need to ask 
every morning. How can God, God's grace use this experience not to hinder the gospel, but to further the gospel, like Paul said. He woke up every morning in, with his feet in the stocks, as we'll see, and said, okay, guard number 345 is on duty today. I haven't converted him yet. Challenge accepted. <laughs> he's ready to go. He just had this perspective. And obviously, they're like, it's the Apostle Paul. Of course he's going to do that. But we, we don't want to dismiss it just because he's in a Bible. <laughs> just because he's a character in the Bible. We don't want to act as though that's not something that... It's the same gospel that we say we believe, right? That he believed in. So that power is to speak boldly and without fear is available to us as well. Um, if you would turn to... Uh, Acts chapter 16. And if we could look at the verse 2 Timothy 2.8 up on the screen here. Just, I'll read this to you. This is really the, the verse that explains it all. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He doesn't say according to the gospel. He says that's my gospel. That's the good news that I cling to. Jesus was raised from the dead. If he died and had a bunch of good messages, which is what a lot of people believe, is that Jesus was just really nice and he carried lambs on his shoulders through the meadows, like in the paintings and stuff, and children were sitting on his laps. That's nice Jesus. But if that was nice Jesus and he died and he didn't raise from the dead, then there's no power in the gospel. It's the fact that he rose from the dead because he conquered sin for us, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. Check that out. But the word of God is not chained. Paul's like, oh, oh, well, can't do anything about it. I'm, I'm stuck to this guy here. No, the Word of God is so much more powerful that these temporary chains that were man-made creations cannot stop the Bible, cannot stop the good news. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I wish that I could say that, that I'm willing because... I'm going to walk out and get in my car and I might see somebody walking down the street that I'm willing to endure all things for the person out there that could potentially be a believer if I were to preach the gospel to him. That I would be willing to be thrown in jail for that guy. I don't know if I can say that now, but I ask for it. In Acts chapter 16, um, in verse 13 of Philippians 1, he said, So it has become evident to the whole palace guard, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 16, um, we see a story of Paul being thrown in prison. But it's interesting because there's a verse in Isaiah that says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them. They will cling to the house of Jacob. Then people will take them and bring them to their place. And listen to this. And the house of Israel will possess them as servants and maids in the land of the Lord. It's kind of an obscure obscure verse, but this part really got my attention. They will take them captive whose captives they were. So the children of Israel were in captivity, and God's saying, by my power, you're going to overtake the captivity, and you're going to be the one that that makes the rules, as you would say. And it seems like this is what Paul is taking when he's in jail. He's not a prisoner. The jail is his prisoner in his mind. It says... uh, in uh, Acts chapter 16, I'm just going to summarize what happened. The, uh, Paul got a vision and said that he wanted to... Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm losing track here. Now, they had gone, 
through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, which is interesting. That you're like, well, you wanted to preach the gospel in Asia, so why is that a bad thing? It's not, but apparently the Holy Spirit forbid them to do that. I don't really understand why. You may have goals and plans in your life, and then all of a sudden a big wall goes up, and you're like, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? I thought this is what you wanted. And for, for Paul, what ended up happening was he was preaching the gospel, and then he healed somebody who was demon-possessed, and he got thrown in prison instead. He's like, I would have been happier just going to Asia and preaching the gospel. I don't want to end up in prison. So what happened was, he goes to Philippi, which is who this letter in the Philippians was written toward. And they preach to Lydia in her house, and they get saved. And the church starts in Philippi through this woman, Lydia. And it says in verse 16 that a certain slave girl that was possessed possessed with a spirit of divination, which is crazy to think about, was following him around, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And you're like, that sounds like that's true, right? But she was doing it in a way that was distracting from the truth of the gospel. It was drawing attention to her rather than on Paul. And also, if this woman had a reputation of having a spirit of divination, if she was associating herself with the gospel, it was a potential muddying or compromising of the gospel. And I love this because we get a perspective on Paul in verse 18, which we kind of already know when we read his letters, but it says, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And the spirit left her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, so these people that owned her were getting money from the fact that she was telling all these divine tales and all this stuff. So they bring... Their cash flow is drying up because they're out of business. And they bring Paul and Barnabas to jail. and Or sorry, Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas are in the jail. And it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Which I find really interesting because I know I wouldn't be praying and singing hymns to God if I had my feet fastened in the stocks like it says. And back in those days, it wasn't like the prisons that we think of, obviously. They were sitting there. It was a bathroom. It was a dining room. It was everything. And they were chained to the stocks. And they're singing hymns and praising God. And the second part of verse 25 in Acts 16 really gets my attention because it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. The unsaved world is watching and listening to see how we respond in times of adversity. You might not think they are. I know that I sometimes find solace in the arms of the unbelieving world when I'm going through a hard time because I know that I can vent to a coworker and they can be like, yeah, that's terrible. I can't believe that happened to you. Or you got overlooked for this or that. And they're throwing all this work on you. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> they're looking at me. Even though I, I think that we're on the same team here and we're all griping and complaining at, at work because that's what people do at work. They're looking at me, and if I have my Bible in my cubicle, and I go back to my cubicle, and they see that, and they're like, hmm, just like everybody else, right? Everybody complains. They're no different than me. People are watching us to see how we respond in times of difficulty. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And that was another sermon that Chris talked about on Sunday. The earthquake. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Everyone's, not just the people that were innocent, Paul and Silas, everybody, even the criminals that were there. 
the testimony of the gospel shining through the light of Paul and Silas loosed the chains of everybody in that prison. And what's interesting about that is that everybody has the opportunity to escape at this point, right? All their chains are gone. The doors are blown off the hinges. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He's like, I can't believe I let all these prisoners go. I'm just going to end it now so I don't have to get tortured for not doing my job. And Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. A lot of times we take the opportunity to get the easy way out in the midst of hardships. As soon as we see a light, we're like, oh, pfft, bolt. And it seems that sometimes God would rather us stay exactly where we are to shine as a light to those who are afflicted as a result of their own wrongdoing. Paul and Silas were innocent. The other men in the prison were not. For Paul and Silas to stay there, somehow it affected everyone in that prison to not want to get out, to stay with Paul and Silas because they're like, these guys know what's up. If they're sticking around, I'm staying too. That's crazy, right? It's like when people say they'd rather be in the storm with Jesus than on the calm water without him. I'd rather be with a Christian in adversity because of the way they're handling it than be walking the straight line and no problems and cakes and raisins and all that. It's, it's challenging to me because of how quickly I turn into an unbeliever when bad things happen. Not like I go out and rebel and stuff, but you know what I mean? Like my mindset becomes, of course this would happen. Oh, gosh. And I start throwing my papers and stuff or whatever. I don't know. What, whatever is it, whatever's respectable to do without getting fired. Um, throwing pens and stuff. Um, it says in uh, verse 14 of Philippians 1, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. One of Paul's favorite names for himself was what? Do you guys know? A prisoner of Christ. He refers to himself over at least six times as the prisoner of Christ. Not the prisoner of Rome. I mean, you've heard it all before. The prisoner of Rome or the prisoner unjustly, which is kind of what we do. As we, we say, oh, this bad stuff's happened to me, and I don't deserve it to happen, which we could argue whether you do or not. But Paul didn't see it that way. And because of him being in chains, the people were more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul knows this firsthand because Paul, when he was Saul, actually lit the, he was the catalyst for the church spreading. If you recall in Acts, 1, Acts 8.1, after uh, Stephen was stoned to death, if we could pull up Acts 1 here, Saul was consenting to his death, it says. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. If you stop there, you would say, well, that's understandable, right? The apostles are the devout ones, so they stuck around. Everybody else just, psh, they made a beeline out of there. They didn't want Paul or Saul wreaking havoc, as it says in the next verse. The devout men came, carried Stephen, and, and buried him, it says. And if we could skip to verse 3. It says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He was just dragging people to prison, making them blaspheme Jesus. What's that last verse say? Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So, when you step on an anthill and all the ants scatter, you think, ha ha, that's funny and all that stuff. With the Christians, Paul was thinking he was just, as soon as I kill this guy, Stephen, that's it. 
going to be the end. And, and we talked about it on Sunday. Gamaliel was like, if it's of, of man, it's just going to get thwarted and it'll, it won't go. But if it's of God, you don't want to fight against it. Saul didn't take that advice. He's like, I'm going to fight against it. And what happened? It drove the Christians further away from Jerusalem, which is actually what Jesus said they were going to do. You're going to go to Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. So Saul or Paul knew exactly what happens when you hit a Christian or when you hit one of God's kids or when you try to stop what God wants to do. He knows. It's like scratching poison ivy. It spreads. Just like we're going to spread on that map there. You start small and we're going to spread. It says in uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. See, the power is what it's all about. It's the gospel that has the power. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. How did Paul sit in prison and say, this is furthering the gospel? It's because he knew that he was called to sit in that prison before time began, in Christ Jesus. He had an understanding that I hope to someday grasp. Everything that happens to me is something that God ordained, and I have no right to question it. So if I'm going to have this opportunity, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. It's crazy, right? But if you think about it, if Paul had never gotten thrown in jail, we wouldn't have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are the prison epistles. So you might think, I can't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't do anything. Find something. <laughs> do something that, ha- that honors God wherever you are. You have no idea the impact that it could have. In verse 15, back to Philippians 1. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former, the people who are envious and full of strife, preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Ah, Paul's stuck in prison. He can't stop us. We're going to go in and sow some bad seed and everybody's going to flee and nobody's going to follow Christ anymore because we're going to talk about, ah, Paul, he's in jail and why follow that guy? And they're going to say, well, why is he in jail? Well, he's preaching this Jesus guy and he died for your sins and he rose from the dead. Isn't that ridiculous? Well, that, that sounds pretty interesting. Can you tell me more about it? I don't really know, but come on. It's, he, the guy's an idiot. He's in jail. Can't believe anything he says. And then the people are like, mm, that actually sounds pretty good. So you're saying I don't have to pay the price for my sins. Somebody else already did it and they rose from the dead? I'm sold. And the guy's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. He's saying they're not even intending for people to get saved because they're blaspheming the gospel. But the gospel is the gospel and it's powerful enough that even when it's spoken with an ulterior motive, it can still speak to the heart. That's crazy, right? Which means, how powerful is it if you're preaching it with a pure motive? Even if you're not articulate, even if you're not confident, and, and you know, I'm really timid, I'm shy, I've never talked to anybody, that they didn't make the first move, all that. If the power of the gospel is powerful enough that when somebody is trying to uh, quench the power of it, I guess, is still able to accomplish its purpose, like the Bible says, that the word of God does not return void, how much more if we just yield ourselves to God and say, I have no gifts, no skills. You do it through me. It's powerful. 
And he says, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. He's like, I don't care. As long as Christ is preached, it doesn't matter to me. That's his goal. And that's a, it's a nice way to end. You know, if, just a quick example. If you're feeling like you're a prisoner of circumstance, if anybody had the right to proclaim that he was a prisoner of circumstance and, and God left him in the lurch and he didn't have to follow God, it was Joseph, right? He was literally a prisoner of circumstance. He was a prisoner because his brothers sold him to Potiphar. He did his best for Potiphar because he's like, hey, I'm here, I might as well make, make the best of it. His wife accuses him of rape because she, he wouldn't go to bed with her. So he ends up in jail, falsely accused. And he's like, all right, well, I'm in jail, so I might as well make the best of it. And he earns the favor of the prison guard, and he gets to oversee the other prisoners, even though he himself is a prisoner. And then he helps these guys out. You know the story. And then he's stuck in jail even two more years after the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'll tell Pharaoh about you. You're awesome. And he forgets about him. But then what happens? It ends up that he's the second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph could have easily said, ah, my circumstances, what am I supposed to do? God left me high and dry. I, this is the, the, the deck that I'm, I'm dealt, and I can't do anything. But in Genesis 50, 20, when he's talking to his brothers at the end of the story, it says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Joseph knew that the enemies, or the enemy that was working through his brothers, thought he was trying to destroy what God was trying to do. Joseph said, God has none of that. And you look throughout biblical history, how many times the, the enemy tried to stop Messiah from coming. He couldn't do it. He tried to put an end to Messiah dying on the cross and being the, the sacrifice for everyone. And he couldn't do it. And he couldn't keep him in the grave either. And that's the power of the gospel that we have. So when we are encountering these terrible circumstances in our life where their people are ruining our relationships with other people or they're sowing seeds of lies in, in, our, in our life, it doesn't matter because God knows what he has for you. God knows that his power is in you. And if we yield to that power of the gospel and we're like, you know what? Somehow, I don't understand it, and we quote Romans eight twenty eight because it sounds good and we like it, but do we believe it? Joseph believed it because he said, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant it for good in order to save many people alive. And that's what Paul said. I'm in prison. The enemy's trying to stop me from preaching the gospel. Guess what? I have the world chained to me. All of Rome. And we see the Philippian jailer becomes a Christian. All his family gets baptized and becomes Christians. And then we have the church of Philippi, which no doubt this letter, when he's writing about being a prisoner, I'm sure that jailer is smirking if he's getting this letter read to him in the Philippian church because he's like, yeah, go Paul, be a prisoner because that's why I'm going to heaven. That's why my family is saved from eternal separation from God, because you were willing to be a prisoner that made the most of his circumstances. So let's do that. Let's, let's not allow what's going on in our life to stop us from making the most of our circumstances, because we have the power of the gospel. And as, the, as it said, the word of God is not changed.